Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon. Welcome to Endocast. I'm your host, Tony Ray. This is episode eight with our physician guest, Ananya Das from Creighton University and Banner Health in Arizona, talking to us about his research behind the economics of single-use duodenoscopes. Endocast is a GI-focused podcast for clinicians by clinicians, presented to you by Boston Scientific. Together, we'll take a closer look at the data, techniques, and insights of endoscopy that matter most to listeners like you. Welcome, Dr. Das. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Tony. It's great to see you. Um, Yes, it's good to see you again, and um, thank you for having me in the endocast. We have been planning this one for quite some time, and so I'm finally here. Get to see uh, you and some of my colleagues, and uh, I'm super excited to be back out here. For those of you that don't know Dr. Das, I'll give you a little bit of background. So Dr. Das is a professor of medicine at Creighton University and University of Arizona. He also practices at Banner Desert. He is the founder of his private practice group, which is the Arizona Centers for Digestive Health. Dr. Das also completed his fellowship at Case Western University and has been in clinical practice for over 20 years. Likewise, he has presented and published over 350 research publications. Wow, that's quite a bit. Thank you. Before we get into the economics discussion around single-use duodenoscopes, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the things that you like to do when you're not scoping patients uh, in the hospital? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I spend a lot of time reading, not only medical books, other books. I'm kind of an outdoor person, and I hike quite a bit on the weekends particularly. And um, during the pandemic, of course, it's been a little less, but I hope to pick it up again. You know, Arizona has, is a beautiful place. There's a lot of outdoors that you can go to. So I, I like doing the outdoors mostly. So if I was traveling to Arizona, which I am, and I have not hiked out here yet. I hike in California quite a bit. What What is the one hike that someone has to do when they come to Phoenix or Scottsdale? Yeah, there there, uh, there are many good hiking places, but one I particularly like is uh, on the Camelback Mountain. It's pretty close in the middle of the city, and on a good day, you go up, spend some time up the hill, down the hill. It's really nice. And that one's pretty close, too. You don't have to go all the way up to Flagstaff to, to mm-hmm. hike it. No, it's just in the middle of the city, actually, within a mile of, couple of miles from where I live. Probably, probably August is not the best time of year to do that hike. You can do it, but you have to <laughs> drink a lot of water. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hot few months of the year, but rest of the year is really beautiful here. So you can pick your choose your month and the week when you want to do it. Perfect. So Camelback's on my list. That's right. Excellent. So. We are gathered today to talk a little bit about healthcare economics, which is unique to Endocast because the primary focus we've had so far with this podcast has been clinically focused. So I'm excited to talk to you, uh, an expert in the area of healthcare economics. So it's my understanding that you're quite accomplished in this area. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your background and interest in that area? So um, when I was doing my GI fellowship in Cleveland, uh, that was in mid-90s, I got interested in healthcare economics. It was kind of a new thing at that time in gastroenterology. 
Um, the way I look at it, there are many new technologies that are coming into practice. They're effective, but at the same time, expensive also. Um, as we all know, resources are limited, and you want to use the best resource to best use. Um, so the outcome research became very important. And a lot of new methodologies were coming at that time, including principles of economics, risk and uncertainty analysis, and also mathematical modeling techniques, specific software were developed. So I got interested, started doing work, and since then, over the last couple of decades, I've published in starting from hepatitis C treatment, liver transplant, colonoscopy, pancreatic disease, endoscopic ultrasound. And it's good that now it has become almost mainstream and almost every medical intervention is tested with cost and effectiveness. And I'm happy to see that. Yeah, it's fascinating. Even since the time that I started in the GI world, which was 10 years ago, healthcare economics has come to the forefront uh, in our business as well. So we appreciate all the research you're doing in this area. So late 2019, you completed some research that looked very closely at the cost effectiveness of a single-use duodenoscope. That study has since been accepted by DDW as an abstract and is now pending a publication in a major journal. Curious, why did you choose to research this specific topic, Dr. Das? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, and I'll, I'll give you a background here. A uh, little bit of background is that, you know, healthcare-associated infections are becoming, unfortunately, quite common. And uh, recently, there has, been a, there has been a lot of attention on duodenoscope-associated infections, contaminated duodenoscope, causing clinical infection, hospital outbreaks. They have been on the news all the time. Uh, lots of CDC and FDA advisories have come in even congressional investigations. Um, so as we all know, duodenoscopes are a very complex instrument, and there are many difficult, hard-to-clean areas. And uh, when even with all the reprocessing and cleaning techniques that we use, um, sometimes some parts of the duodenoscope get contaminated and colonized by very nasty pathogens, multidrug-resistant pathogens. And when you do the next patient, there is a good potential to pass that on to the patient, unfortunately, leading to all kinds of clinical infection, serious infection, multi-system organ failure, requiring critical care, and even mortality. And then outbreaks are a big deal. So, so one thing is becoming gradually clear that you know this disinfection or reprocessing method is very complex procedural method. It, it, it requires interaction, interplay of the patient that you're doing, the procedure itself, the personnel that are carrying out that process, the microbiological principles, the hospital setup, and very prone to error and system failure. And so um, FDA recently came out with this recommendation, which makes it very clear that no matter how perfectly you execute this reprocessing technique, the current ones, uh, you never can have a completely pathogen-free duodenoscope. It's impossible, no matter how you can do better, but you cannot get rid of the risk of contamination. So, and FDA did say that, you know, we need improved, better method of reprocessing, and interestingly, interestingly, they also said that if there is something that you can make this reprocessing unnecessary, that'll be great. So there have been a lot of efforts on personal training, enhanced cleaning, 
um, trying to use other techniques of reprocessing and even sterilization using some parts as disposable parts like the caps of the duodenoscope. But none of them actually can eliminate the risk of contaminated duodenoscope and consequent clinical infection and outbreaks, that risk. So Boston Scientific recently came out a very out-of-the-box idea. They made, they made reprocessing completely unnecessary by having this single-use exalt Model D duodenoscope. And that's a game changer because it really, so, um, so when this came out, we, we wanted to look at the cost effectiveness of this single-use duodenoscope, which, uh, which are commercially available now. And our group was the first group to look at it with a formal methodology. No, once again, I, I appreciate you doing uh, the research in this area. I know Dr. Muthasami also contributed to this publication as well. Can you walk us through your research inputs and setup for this publication? So uh, we used a very detailed decision analysis mod model, uh, which uh, basically compares the current strategy of high-level disinfection with directly with the strategy of using a single-use duodenoscope. We also looked at uh, quarantine and culture reprocessing strategies and also using ethylene oxide gas sterilization reprocessing methods as sub-analysis. But the direct comparison was basically high-level disinfection versus single-use duodenoscope. Um, we searched all the published information, all the, gathered all the data. Uh, we looked at the cost related to um, the cost of duodenoscopes, cost of reprocessing, uh, cost of clinical care that happens from infectious complications including cost of critical care. We looked at uh, the probability of contamination of uh, duodenoscope, depending on different types of procedure, what types of infections happen, how many require critical care, what is the mortality and morbidity rate. Uh, while calculating the cost, we have to take into consideration the cost of lost lives and the cost of loss of quality of life when somebody gets sick from an infection. And that's a very important part of the cost, uh, calculating the cost. So we used very standard technology and methodology to develop the decision analysis mo model. And um, you know, I mean, one thing we should mention that ideally there should be a randomized controlled trial between this strategy and that strategy, which we really cannot have. It's theoretically impossible because you have, need tens of thousands of patients and you have to follow them long term, which is nearly impossible to do. And so an economic analysis looking at the cost effectiveness of different strategies is really the next best line of evidence. Makes a lot of sense, Dr. Das. It sounds like you addressed every input possible as you have with some of your previous research. What questions regarding single-use duodenoscopes did you set out to answer with this research? So, um, we developed this detailed decision analysis methods. We compared the strategy of using high-level disinfection reprocessing technique against use of a single-use duodenoscope. We looked at the cost of both strategies and the effectiveness in terms of particularly the decreasing the rate of clinical infections, the rate of ICU stay, the rate of mortality, and even possibility of infectious hospital-based outbreaks. So um, one 
the way we look at it is to calculate a cost effectiveness ratio on incremental cost effectiveness ratio and that's very kind of very interesting that in decision analysis methodology you actually put a value to the human life and very simply stating that uh, for example in the US if you spend $100,000 to save a good quality year of life then it, that medical intervention is considered cost effective and so that was our main point where we wanted to calculate the cost effectiveness cost effectiveness ratio of uh, use of single-use dudenoscope to come to that point. Interesting. And so how did this research help to answer those questions? And what were some of your conclusions based on the inputs? So the, our results are actually very exciting. And we did a baseline analysis where we uh, looked at a typical patient, like a 50-year-old person coming in for getting a CBD stone out with an ERCP and sphincterotomy and stone extraction. And in that baseline, baseline scenario, uh, use of single-use dudenoscope was very cost-effective. And remember, we talked about that cost-effectiveness ratio. That was $68,000, which is very attractive because it is much lower than the threshold of $100,000 per year of life saved. So uh, what we saw that um, the use of single-use dudenoscope is not only less expensive, it is actually also more effective than the other strategies, including culture and quarantine, or even uh, ethylene oxide gas sterilization. So it's, it's very cost effective uh, to use single-use dudenoscopes. Wow, some of that might be over my head, I can tell you that. So it's safe to say that a lot of our listeners are not healthcare economic experts. Is there another way that our listeners, and even myself, should be interpreting your research? Yes, uh, I mean, as clinicians, we all know that any medical intervention has to be evaluated for effectiveness, that it has to be effective, supposed to do what it's supposed to do, and uh, also the cost part of it, which is increasingly becoming more important because resources are always limited, and you want to use your resources the best, most judicious way. So clinicians often look at the cost part and effectiveness together. And a simple example will give you uh, that idea that you know if you use single-use duodenoscope for ERCPs, if you use like about 75 of them, one will be able to save one admission to the ICU, which we all know is very expensive. Similarly, if you use it, use it for about 550 patients, then you will be able to save one year of life, which is very interesting and strong number given that we do about 700,000 ERCPs annually in the US alone. So from a clinical standpoint, this basically means it's very cost effective to use single-use dudenoscopes. Interesting, so a bit's changed in the reimbursement landscape since you first uh, completed this research. In fact, when you finished in 2019, there was not a traditional pass-through code. However, that has now been established. How does this new reimbursement consideration, which is afforded by CMS, impact the initial assumptions and overall outcomes that you previously had established? 
Yes, um, that's uh, that's actually very interesting. And as you know, the transitional pass-through payment just became effective from July this year. Um, this is one of the new, very welcome Medicare CMS in, um, initiatives where uh, the Medic- Medicare beneficiaries can get the benefits of new and safe, safer technology without waiting through the bureaucratic process of reimbursement and incorporation into medical payer system. Um, so a simple example, you know, if, uh, if we do an ERCP, typically Medicare payment is about $3,000 national average facility fee. But if you use a single use duodenoscope, then there, now there is an extra code for reimbursement that covers the cost of the, du- the single use duodenoscope. And I think that's very important because when you did the analysis, we actually took a very broad perspective of the society, everybody, that uh, for the looking at the cost part of it. But it included the patient's perspective, which is always good for them to have less adverse complications, adverse events, also for the providers, the payers, and the hospital. And one of the concerns was that there will be resistance from the hospital and the institution side, because at least initially, before this new payment system came into focus, they had to put the put some money into to get the make the transition to get those duodenoscope, use them. Uh, and that could have been a, a point of inertia for them. But now with this payment system, the hospital does not have to pay. It doesn't have to take that financial burden. It will be paid by the CMS or other payers, hopefully. And um, so that sh- that is very helpful to for institution to make that adoption to this new technology. That's great news. And uh, I'm sure that's going to be welcomed by many of the physicians uh, around the country as well. Speaking of administrators and administration, what type of information should they be looking at when making investment decisions? So hospital administrators are, you know, they are they are often very concerned about this uh, hospital-acquired infections or healthcare-associated infections in general because they make big headlines, negative publicity, and as we know that uh, reports of contaminated duodenoscope causing hospital outbreaks from has been reported from almost all parts of the country in other countries also. So, um, and it's a very expensive problem for them because of the medical legal issues the, the negative publicity and the consequent loss of business. So any any sharp administrator will very quickly realize that with the single-use duodenoscope technology, uh, they can actually completely eliminate this risk. And, um, and given the new system of payment that is available now, particularly from CMS, uh, they don't have to make a very significant financial um, undertaking. They just have to have the willingness to adopt. Um, so I think most hospitals and institutions will quickly adopt this because that will not only reduce their risk, at the same time, using this technology will be a marker for quality and excellence. It will actually help them grow into bigger institutions and centers of excellence for ERCP and advanced endoscopic procedures. Well put, Dr. Das. I'm, I'm sure there will be hospital administrators interested to hear that information as well. So this is my favorite part of the interview. I love to ask the question, you know, what is the one silver bullet or golden nugget that you would like your colleagues around the country to hear about as it relates to the economics behind single-use duodenoscopes? 
Yeah, that's a, I'll split it up into three points, but carrying one main message. That one thing is very clear that the risk of infection hospital outbreaks with contaminated duodenoscope is very real and serious. We cannot any longer ignore this problem. And number two to this, this issue is that what we do currently, particularly the high-level disinfection procedures, these are not enough to clean the duodenoscope. That risk of contamination, no matter how perfectly you do the reprocessing, cannot be eliminated. And number three, there is a very good solution, uh, almost an ideal solution, about using single-use duodenoscope. And by with our analysis, we have shown that it not only makes a lot of clinical sense by virtually eliminating the risk of contaminated duodenoscope carrying infection from one patient to another and causing hospital outbreak. It also makes a very good economic sense uh, for, the, for a broad perspective for the patient, for the provider, for the payers, and the hospitals and institution. Very good, Dr. Das. I wanted to be the first to thank you for coming on to Endocast and delivering really some unbelievable content. And also thank you for pioneering the clinical research in this area that was much needed as well. Thank you for having me. I re I'm really excited about this single-use duodenoscope, and I, I can see that it will be very quickly adopted into clinical care. And that's Endocast. Please follow Boston Scientific Endoscopy on our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds. You can also visit our virtual education platform, EduCare. That's E-D-U-C-A-R-E dot bostonscientific.com and choose gastroenterology. The site features over 180 resources, including physician-led educational videos, lectures, case studies, device training videos, procedural tips, and techniques. Thanks for listening. Endocast listeners, an important disclaimer. These materials are intended to describe common clinical considerations and procedural steps for the use of reference technologies, but may not be appropriate for every patient or every case. Decisions surrounding patient care depend on the physician's professional judgment in consideration of all available information for the individual case. Boston Scientific does not promote nor encourage the use of its devices outside of their approved labeling. Case studies are not necessarily representative of clinical outcomes in all cases as individual results may vary. The law restricts devices to sell, buy, or on the order of a physician. Indications, contraindications, warnings, and instructions for use can be found on the product labeling supplied with each device. Products shown for information purposes only may not be approved for sale in certain countries. This material is not intended for use in France and by prescription only. Thank you.